Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to this hour of the program. It is Kincaid and Breckenridge on this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I'm Rob Breckenridge. Roger Kincaid uh, is enjoying some vacation. We're going to keep going on this Olympic conversation. So a 12-2 vote yesterday in favor of spending $5 million, up to $5 million, to investigate, to examine the feasibility of being an Olympic host city. So that's going to mean striking a committee. That's going to mean uh, exploring all of these different questions about whether it makes sense to host the Olympics, what it might cost to host the Olympics, how much our existing infrastructure could be reused. And by the way, there were about 1,400 athletes at the 1988 Winter Olympics here in Calgary. The 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, there were more than 2,800 athletes, so twice as many. There's a, a lot more events now than there was then, and a lot more athletes, and obviously a heck of a lot more security. Uh, so right there, I mean, it just it gives an example of how different it's going to be if we do this. Uh, and the notion that everything we had in place back in 88 will do again, it just doesn't add up just because of how much bigger it is now. So it's one thing for us to sit and say, well, that could be used again. We could just fix that up and that could be used again. And we think that would be just fine. We're not the ones who make that decision. The IOC is very specific about what they think they need for their Olympic Games. And they are in the position to dictate to cities, you must do this. You must build that. That's not big enough. That needs to be bigger. If you're going to host this event, it needs to be this, this, and this. It needs to host the, be able to seat this many people, etc., they will be the ones dictating all of this. And that's how it works. So we might think that something might be fine or that might be good or that just needs a little bit of, uh, a little bit of upgrade. The IOC will be the ones making that decision. And you look at the fact, well, you look at Oslo, for example, 7,000 pages uh, of demands. And some of them were pretty ridiculous. And it seemed as though maybe that was the, the final straw for, for Oslo. It's just how ridiculous it was. You're turning your city over to the IOC, really for all intents and purposes. So what is it we're, we're signing on to? What is it we expect to, to get from hosting the Olympics? Is it just we want to host a big party, have fun for a, a few weeks in February, 10 years from now? What are we hoping to get out of this? The argument is, well, some of those facilities that we have from 88, they're getting a little older. They could use some fixing up. There's nothing stopping us from doing that right now if we really think they need to be fixed up. I mean, I think there is something to the notion, though, of Olympics going back to cities that have done it before if the IOC is really prepared to use existing infrastructure. Rather than just going to new city after new city after new city after new city, just constantly building stuff in cities that, that's not going to be used. So yeah, Calgary hosted the games. We've got this infrastructure. Well, then they went to Vancouver in 2010, and then they built a bunch of stuff in Vancouver. So I guess we would go to another Canadian city and build a bunch more stuff. I, I guess you could argue that makes less sense. But should Canada even be in the running at all? Why was it that Canada, the United States, Europe. Nobody wanted the 2022 Winter Olympics. The IOC didn't want to go back to Asia again. They awarded the 2018 Games to South Korea. They wanted to go to Europe. They wanted to go to North America. So this, this notion that we'd somehow have leverage over the IOC because they want to come back to North America. Well, why didn't anyone capitalize on that uh, for 2022? Why didn't Salt Lake City or Lake Placid, or um, 
Vancouver, for that matter. Nobody, nobody came forward and said, you know what? Do you want to come to North America? We'll, we'll take the 2022 games. Nobody else in Europe. Where was uh, Lillehammer? Where, where, were these, where were these cities to say, we'll do it? It came down to Beijing, China, and Almaty, Kazakhstan. That was it. Oslo was in the running. Oslo was probably the favorite. Oslo said, you know what? We've had some time to think about it. We don't want it. So to me, that, that should all be a really big red flag. That we just see all the potential benefits. We just see the fun that we had in 1988. But I think we need to take a step back and say, well, hang on a second here. Why aren't we having to fight off other cities for this? Why, why did nobody want this for 2022? What is it about the games? What is it about the IOC now that makes this such a turnoff for most reasonable countries? want to get to your phone calls 974-8255 uh, first i want to hear from one of the counselors who voted against this yesterday it was a 12-2 vote uh the two no votes weren't typically counselors who were on the same side of much it was sean chu and drew farrell who voted against this uh joining us on the line this morning is the counselor for ward seven drew farrell uh counselor good morning good morning all right well why, why did you vote against this several reasons we have been, uh, the province has made it really clear that we need to pick our priorities. The province, as you know, doesn't have a lot of money, and we've been asking for funding for some pretty big projects. And I was just listing them yesterday. Yesterday was the anniversary of the flood, so the flood is our top priority. And then we have the Green Line, and we've been talking about Calgary Next and the Olympics, and I would imagine that they're confused. We need to prioritize and communicate that very clearly to the province if we want them to fund one of these projects. My, my priority would be flood first and then green line after that. And, and I'm also concerned about, we, we saw a report yesterday that talked about the economic benefit of, a, of an Olympics. And we often see these lofty reports that, that talk about um, promises and they rarely come to fruition. So bidding for the Olympics is a huge gamble. And I, 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 was, I was at the 88 Olympics. It was a wonderful time for Calgary. There are other things that we can do to bring vibrancy to our city that would be less risky and less costly. All right. Well, the, the argument that's being advanced, I guess, in support of this is uh, that, that the, the committees or, or the city's not not bound by anything here. That, that why not take the time to study this and and see what's there? But why did you feel that it was not worth really going any further than than where we're at now? It, it be, uh, a whole number of reasons. Primarily, the one that I, I mentioned is we have to prioritize and and. We have to work with the province on the limited funding that's available on on what is important to us. And, and we're giving very mixed messages to them on what, what's important. But also, you know, the last five Winter Olympics lost money. And, and Vancouver, as an example, it was a very successful Olympics. It, it lost money. There was a billion dollars of security alone. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you look at it, it, the uh, Ability to take that money and use it for other ways to diversify the economy and build vibrancy in the city of Calgary. I think we could find a whole infinite number of, of ways. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about the, the, the discussion around corruption within the IOC. They tried to clean up their act. There was a huge scandal. There's been a series of scandals, and they've indicated that they have cleaned up their act, but then there's just recent allegations from Tokyo of of corruption and the, the need to actually bribe um, voting members on on uh, who would get the Olympics, and and so w- with it, that just adds to the risk, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of room to take these large risks right now this isn't 1988 it was a very it was a simpler time and and so i i just felt that we shouldn't be distracted we should focus on what we've already identified as priorities yeah and i think that that's a, a valid point now 
how much do you think is is uh, there a connection between the, discussing the Olympic bid and the discussion around Calgary next? Did you sense that the two have become linked in any way? Mm, yes, I think they are they are linked, and um, ag- again, the lofty promises with arenas rarely come to fruition, and the public ends up owning most, if not all, of the risk. And that's certainly the presentation that we've had from Calgary Next in the past is that the risk would be publicly owned, um, private profit, profit, public risk. I have a problem with that. And and so if this is dovetailed into the Calgary Next discussion, then we'll continue to hear about, about um, West Village, I would imagine, and then Plan B, which would be in the Stampede Grounds. So we'll see what happens. Um, it, it all will rely on support from other orders of government. So whether the province comes on side and whether the federal government comes on side, we, cities cannot undertake the Olympics or an arena on their own. And, right. and so I, I would question whether the province of Alberta would be interested right now considering the struggles that they have with funding. And, and we've been talking about the green line for some time. It, it would form and, and change our city for centuries to come and add benefit. And I, I, that one is the one I'm most focused on, except for after, once we've addressed the flood. I thought it was ironic yesterday um, with the anniversary of the flood. There was very little mention of funding for the flood. Well, you know, it's interesting because it is difficult at, at times, I guess, to, to get the attention of, of the province or the federal government or, or get commitments to certain projects. I think there there's a, a hope or a belief that all of a sudden now Calgary's the Olympic city, the Olympic bid city, that uh, both levels of government are just going to shovel money uh, upon the city. <laughs> what world do you live in? Well, <laughs> I, I just don't think there's any money to shovel. It, no. it, it, you know, 88 was a different time as well. And... and uh, the costs are so much bigger. Vancouver's was six and a half billion dollars, and and as I said, a, mil, a billion of that was security alone. Two and a half billion was transportation. We're looking at huge, huge dollars here, and we have other priorities. It really just comes down to that. It's a huge gamble. I think a lot of people love the idea of of the Olympics in Calgary, it was a wonderful time for Calgary. It was when we started thinking of ourselves as a big city. And and I did mention yesterday, it's seductive. And sure. and so I, I just was resistant to be seduced. All right. Well, unfortunately, you, you were in, in the minority. Uh, very so, much so. Very much so. This is going to go forward. So what, what are you going to watch for now to, to try to ensure that those, those issues you raise um, are, are, are still at the forefront or, or considered in this conversation? Uh, it's Certainly, there should be a discussion about who sits around the table making some of these decisions or recommendations anyway. We need to ensure that there's depth and understanding around the table so the membership of this committee and so council will be looking very closely at the makeup of that that committee or board and we'll have to discuss whether members of city administration either sit on the board or sit, sit around the table um, able to influence some of the decisions and and looking at the risks Calgary's Olympics turned to profit but I believe that was one of the last and they're notorious for cost overruns the cost overruns are generally borne by the municipality or the province and so what we can do to ensure that the risk doesn't get transferred on to Calgarians indeed well we'll see where this all goes from here Councillor Farrell thanks for your time this morning appreciate it thank you there you go Ward 7 City Councillor Drew Farrell one of the two votes against this, standing shoulder to shoulder uh, with Sean Chu, someone uh, who I'm sure she's not often shoulder to shoulder with at, at city council, but they were the two votes against this yesterday. The rest of council voting to to proceed with this exploratory committee. So we're going to spend up to $5 million to take a look at whether this makes sense. And then I guess there would be a, a lot more that would need to be done after that. So this is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we uh, would be shelling out if we're actually going to do this. So is it worth it? Should we be uh, pursuing this? The idea of Calgary as the host of the 2026 Winter Olympics 
is, uh, I guess, what we're going to explore here. 974-8255 is a number. You can text us as well, 770-770. Don and Terry and more. We'll get to your calls here when we come back. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Talking about whether Calgary should uh, bid for the 2026 Winter Olympics. I guess it's unclear at this point uh, who would be up against. Whether other cities even want to host the Olympics. Not many do, it seems. There was Beijing and Almaty, Kazakhstan in the running for the 2022 Games, and that's it. I think that should worry us, but let's go to the phone and see what you think. Uh, Don, good morning. Good morning, Rob. Um, I, I don't often agree with Drew Farrell, but I do agree with the word she used, prioritize. Now, I've got a huge question. City Hall authorized the $5 million to be spent, did they not? Uh, uh, yeah, well, the money to be spent on this uh, feasibility uh, study? That's, that's right, on the feasibility study. Yeah, that's now. what they voted on yesterday. So, okay, yeah. now, yeah. ultimately, indirectly or directly, that comes from the taxpayers' money. Since when did City Hall uh, come to us and ask us about this and ask if they should, they should put in a bid? In other words... We've got enough problems going on in this city right now with taxes and everything else. And, and like I say, they're not, they're not coming to us. I haven't got anything from my city councilor who voted, obviously, for it. So that, that's the question today. It, it smacks the same thing as Gregor Robertson in Vancouver, going to fight the NEB. Do all 500,000 residents of Vancouver support that of taxpayers' money being spent to fight the NEB? No, it's a fair question, Don. I appreciate the phone call. I mean, um, I think city council or those who voted for this would argue that this will now be the opportunity to talk to Calgarians about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, council votes all the time on spending money, right? That's the whole point. We elect representatives. They vote on our behalf at, at city hall and they make decisions on how to spend money. But clearly this, there, there was very little discussion about this. It was presented to council yesterday and they voted and now it's done. So we're going to spend this money. So as was pointed out by uh, economist Trevor Toom, that uh, this $5 million we're going to spend on the uh, feasibility study is about more or less what the city is going to pay uh, for the carbon tax, which has got the mayor and others kind of uh, all bent out of shape. Now, it's fair to say that that is something that Calgary is going to have to spend every year, um, but I think it, it represents a significant enough number that it's something the city is concerned about. So that's an equivalent of what we're going to pay to do this. Now, at a time, I think, when we're looking at ways of, of mitigating the tax burden on Calgarians and Calgary businesses in particular, uh, all this stuff matters. So this is money we're going to spend, and it's uh, not an insignificant amount. Let's go back to the phone. So we got uh, Terry on the line. Terry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think we should really explore the possibilities of going ahead with this bid for the Olympic Games in 2026. That's 10 years away. Yeah. Now, beginning to begin with, the process for us getting the 88 Games started in the 70s. It didn't just occur in 1988. And we, right. everybody, everybody seems to moan and groan about the 80s, about how bad they were. But I can remember the time when they were putting up the saddle and was putting people to work. But uh, my point is this green line thing. It could be called the brown line, the black line. It's got nothing to do with environmentalism and everything to do with a waste of money, a total waste of money. Now, if we're talking about money, we're talking billions of dollars to, for a tunnel project and stuff like that, I say forget it. You can forget that now because all it's going to do is jump people from the north, Bennington, to downtown. And where's the development in between there? I don't see it. I see a lot of nimbyism and a lot of... Uh, mitigation a lot of trying to you know buying property okay but what does that have to do with the olympics though it's got a lot to do because I'm, what i'm saying is what we don't have for infrastructure is the media village and the athletes village now where this could be done and where there's no problem and there is uh you know possibility for development is in northeast calgary now for me if i was going to invest my money in a transit line i did i'd uh, extend the metis trail line to that north uh bennington uh station you know the, the wherever they have that you know behind the country hills or whatever you know, I, i'm not sure the total uh, name of that place but that's where you'd extend it to you'd get more people out from the north without uh, disturbing the the good citizens of, of central calgary and as they say we need development in the northeast that's where the future is if you're going to 
plan around a central transit line. Well, we could do that anyway. We could do that anyway, Terry. Again, I I still don't see the the Olympic connection here. Well, it's it's something to put in consideration as well, Rob. Like I say, if you're going to get people from the north to downtown, you know, the... As I say, the putting uh, the onus on the people in the middle, you know, stripping up Center Street, you know, tumbling under the the river. That's how many they even before you even start, they're talking about billions. Now, for five million dollars for a study that a lot of uh, private enterprises are are willing to put their money up into, and I can guarantee you the benefits of the province in the country. You know, it's not just a Calgary thing. This, this draws people in from all over the world. So I can see the government, you know, helping out to a certain extent. You know, and uh, we have the facilities to refurbish them wouldn't be a problem, Rob. So, uh, well, we can do we can do that anyway. We can do that anyway. That that's my point. But why not do it for a purpose? Draw more people in. You know, let's be doobies, not nimbies, like we've heard from Drew Farrell. The only thing overinflated, you know, is probably her ego in this thing. You know, we've seen her kooky projects, and I dare you to walk down Kensington today. without being interrupted by something at, at one time or another. So it seems to me, as long as her world is protected, the rest of us can go to heck. Well, you know, I'm, Rob, I'm, well I'm with her on this one, Terry, so I, I just... I, yeah, it just... You, again, with the future of the, the transit, we all know there's going to be a transit line from Airdrie to Calgary, and I'm saying, why can't there be a station in northwest Calgary as well? You know that. Okay, that Terry, it, i I got I to gotta break you for the bottom of the hour. I mean, we can have that conversation. But to me, that, that has nothing at all to do with the Olympics and whether we should spend the money to go after the games. I'm going to keep taking your calls here after 1030-974-8255 is our telephone number. You can text us, 77770. We're back with more right after this. Still to come today, we'll, uh, we'll chat with... Maybe debate uh, Gil McGowan uh, from the Alberta Federation of Labor about the minimum wage. Uh, not surprisingly, the AFL is, is going to bat for uh, the government's plan to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, they've launched a new campaign, 15isfair.ca. What, is, what does fair mean? If 15 is fair, then 20 would be even more fair, wouldn't it? Or 25, for that matter. We'll get into it with, uh, with Gil coming up after uh, 11 o'clock. And a lot more still to come on the program today. But right now, continuing with this conversation uh, about whether Calgary should uh, host the Winter Olympics in 2026, or at least try to host the Winter Olympics in 2026. Uh, the, the process began yesterday, I guess you could say, or at least it, it wasn't squelched. It's possible at some point still down the road we'll say, no, that, you know, it's not worth it. Uh, we could have made that declaration yesterday. Uh, two counselors tried to. The rest said, no, let's spend this $5 million and, and see what's there. So what do you make of this decision? And uh, are you curious to see? Because I, I think there are people who would probably say, okay, well, let's see if it's worth it. If it is, good. If not, fine. But how much do we have to spend just to answer that question? And how many of the red flags from previous Olympics and previous Olympic decisions terms of awarding host cities do we uh do we need to see to to learn some lessons from let's uh, go back to the phones though uh, doreen is uh standing by there hi doreen good morning good morning rob in december calgarians learned that olympic plaza was going to be revamped and that's alderman Farrell's corner of the world and this is a quote from an article in the metro Councilor Drew Farrell said the plaza has been identified by the city as a priority project for restoration. And so far, it's one of the most exciting projects she's been a part of. I think that's part of her uh, hesitation about having us look at having the Olympics here again. What, what, what do you mean? Well, if the Olympic plaza is going to be revamped, it was supposedly, quoted by her, built temporarily for the Olympic medal ceremony. So that's the area that would be necessary for the Olympics again if they were to be held in Calgary. Oh, okay. So you think that's why she voted as she did? I think so, yes, because they're already in progress of plans for expanding the arts common and for building a tower and a theater on the northwest, the green space of Olympic Plaza. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, well, all right. So then, on hold well, and, maybe. Okay, so why, yeah. why do you think Sean Chu voted against it then? I'm not sure. I don't know that much about him at all. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, thank you. Jordan, thanks for the phone call. Uh, again, I mean, you know, we asked Drew straight up why she voted against it. Uh, she gave us an answer. I mean, I'm inclined to take her at, at her word. If others think there's, there's other reasons why she voted, no, well, then it's just speculation at, at this point. Uh, I would like to think that both Councillor Farrell and Councillor Chu felt, that, look, this is not a wise investment. That we don't need the Olympics uh, here. If we want to uh, upgrade infrastructure, we want to upgrade these, these facilities, uh, that can be done. We don't need the Olympics and all the additional costs that come with the Olympics. I mean, just on security alone, I mean, we'd be looking at a, about a billion dollars. Right? And it's a, it's a much bigger event than it was in 1988. Much more costly event. Not to say nothing for the rather autocratic nature of the IOC and the unrelenting, unreasonable demands from the IOC. But do people care about the Olympics anymore? And I think it was kind of special and, and magical in 1988. It's not that anymore. And again, to me, I keep coming back to this. Why is it that none of these other cities, uh, Albertville and Lillehammer, Lake Placid, why aren't they going back in and saying, give us the 2018 or give us the 2022 games? Where are they? Where are all these other cities who would look at this and say, wow, what a great opportunity to have all these people come to your city and build all this great stuff. Wow, it's fantastic. Nobody wanted the 2022 Winter Olympics. Doesn't that worry us? It's like if someone's offering you, this is such a great deal. This uh, Come buy this property. It's such a great deal. Yeah, I mean, nobody else wants it. Nobody else has even made a bid on this. Nobody's expressed any interest. I am the only person interested in buying this. That should be a big red flag. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Jim, go ahead. Where did the, I'd like to know where the number of $5 million came from. Like, well, it's up to $5 million. It's, it's yeah, up to $5 million. I don't think they've itemized everything they're, they're going to have to spend money on to do this. But, um, yeah, so it's up to $5 million. So they'll, okay, so, they'll, so if they don't get a decision at $5 million, they stop, and then the $5 million is still gone? <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. You know, it, it, just, it, just, it just seems like they, they want this green line. They want this other, this other bus through the, the, the north or southwest Calgary there, uh, the pandas coming. Uh, it just seems like they're like, why $5 million? It just, it just seems like, like, why would, I'll do it, you know what, I'll do it for five hundred grand. i will tell you whether or not you should do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, so I don't know. So they're gonna, there's going to be a committee. They're going to spend some time looking into this. I don't know if they're going to have to travel anywhere or, or why it has to cost this much. I think it's a good way to pad somebody's pockets is all it is. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot. I agree with you, Jim. Um, it's possible. It, it won't cost this much. There was some suggestion that maybe up to 20% of that could be raised privately. Um, but still, I mean, it is it is a lot of money. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Garrett, go ahead. Hey, everyone. Pretty good. Um, I'm just wondering, like, is it, would there be a way for Alberta to spend this global exposure to kind of work with what we're already doing, trying to get our um, economy and our oil field global exposure, saying we're doing all these good things and get Alberta away from that um, stigma. Because I know how much the Olympics have kind of targeted, like the um, human issues in China, and that worry if that would be a possibility we could look at if we did do it. Would you, I, I don't follow. Well, cause this, um, in Vancouver, they played with the um, the native scenery and bringing the exposure to that. That's how they kind of focused their opening ceremonies and everything. Um, okay. Couldn't we, if we did go with that, spend that to um, show the good things that Alberta has done, not only for the world with the oil, um, but bring light on what we're doing to make it better and more sustainable? To use the Olympics as, as a showcase for that? Yeah, like, um, I don't know, like, because uh, Notley is trying to get exposure across Canada right now saying that we're doing the environmental thing. We're trying to uh, move away from um, pollution. Um, it might just give us a world stage um, in a different aspect, maybe. Um, well, it's an interesting angle to it, Garrett. Appreciate the phone call uh, to, to use the exposure of the Olympics to try to 
make the case for Alberta oil, that, that would be uh, that would be tricky. I think there are probably more efficient ways of, of doing that. Uh, let's go back to the phones, though. Uh, Wayne is standing by. Wayne, go ahead. Yeah, my my uh, complaint is on uh, these you know games in general, whether it's Olympics or the Pan Am. You, you, you hear from the promoters that oh, it's going to break even; it can't lose money. You take the Pan Am games; uh, they said the same thing. Apparently, uh, most or many people were paid bonuses, and then it turns out it's uh, it's three hundred million in the green or in the red. And yeah. it just troubles me that it seems to be seems to happen time and time again. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, every Olympics since uh, 1968 has had cost overruns. Now, Calgary managed to to deal with that in '88, but it was obviously on a very small scale. I mean, it, you know, it, they spent they figure about 50 billion dollars on the 2014 Sochi Games. But but why right? do the people that are responsible end up getting bonuses when in the end uh, it ends up losing money? That that's the part that kind of galls me. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. We appreciate the phone call. Um, let's take a break here. We'll come back. Get some more time for your calls. So we'll read some of your texts as well. Here, seven seventy seven seven. You can text us. Our telephone number nine seven four eight two five five. Of course, four zero three nine seven four. Talk. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Welcome back and welcome to this hour of the program. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on Newstock 770. Kincaid's uh, out of town. He's uh, off uh, taking a bit of vacation. Uh, so you got Breckenridge here with you. 974-8255 is our telephone number. Uh, you can uh, text us as well, 77770. Uh, don't forget as well, Newstock770.com. I'll have a blog post up uh, very shortly. Try to do something long and, and detailed, making the case against an Olympic bid. Uh, so that'll be up soon. Later in this hour, we'll talk about uh, kids being left in, in hot cars. This still happens. I don't understand it, but it does still happen. Uh, Lorraine Summerfeld uh, from PostMediaDriving.ca will be with us. And some thoughts maybe on what it's going to take to finally make this go away. We'll get to that later on. Uh, obviously, the, the minimum debate, uh, minimum wage debate continues to rage in Alberta. The, the, the government insists that they are going to raise it to $15 an hour by 2018. Uh, despite uh, what seems like growing opposition and a lot of concern about the impact of doing so. Uh, we had recently from uh, Restaurants Canada, and their Now Is Not The Time campaign, uh, saying that we need to slow this down and uh, get away from this, this arbitrary target. Well, joining the fray now is the Alberta Federation of Labor. Uh, they've launched a new campaign called 15 Is Fair, which is uh, aimed at uh, supporting the government's position here, arguing that uh, it is a good idea to go to $15 an hour by 2018. Uh, Gil McGowan is president of the AFL and joins us on the line here this morning. Uh, Gil, good morning. Good morning, Rob. All right. Well, why is the uh, AFL jumping into this debate then? Well, uh, at the heart of it, it's a moral argument. We feel very strongly that uh, anyone working full-time uh, here in Alberta should earn enough to live above the poverty line. And uh, the current minimum wage of 1120 doesn't come anywhere close to that threshold. So we've been very supportive of the government's move to a $15 an hour minimum wage in stages by 2018, right from the beginning. And, um, and so, and we've been very, you know, we've been very upfront about that support. Uh, but we decided to launch the 15 is fair campaign uh, mostly because of the very concerted backlash from the business community, especially uh, the low-wage service sector. Um, as I think you've discussed on your show, uh, the restaurant industry, Restaurants Canada, launched a campaign a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's uh, it's built on a foundation of uh, fear-mongering and misinformation. And so because we feel so strongly uh, about the inherent fairness of a $15 an hour minimum wage. We felt that we had to respond, so we quickly cobbled together a campaign, put up a website um, to combat their fear-mongering anecdotes with evidence, and uh, I'm, very, I'm actually very proud of it. So if people want to take a look, it's at 15, uh, 15isfair.ca, and um, you know, we've, we, I think we've made a very strong case uh, for why a $15 minimum wage is not only fair, uh, but it's also good for the economy. 
Okay. Well, I mean, the AFL represents unions, and, and presumably the yeah. members of these unions are, are not earning minimum wage. But if minimum wage goes up, does that affect negotiations? Does that affect union contracts? Is, is that one of the reasons why you're, you're pushing for this? Uh, I want to emphatically say no, that's not the reason. And in fact, uh, as I mentioned, our website and our campaign is based on evidence and uh, the the subject of the minimum wage has been extensively studied, um, not just here in Canada, but across the world for, you know, know, more than 70 years, uh, you know, since governments in the Western advanced world started implementing minimum wages. And what that evidence shows is that there there isn't a significant knock-on effect. Um, it you know mi- minimum wages do establish a floor of, of fairness. They they bring up the bottom, uh, but it does not uh, you know a twenty percent increase in the minimum wage uh, does not and never has resulted in similar wage increases up the ladder. Um, there there is a, an effect close to wherever you set the minimum wage threshold it does tend to bump people up a little bit in the in the range of maybe you know 10 percent above that uh but that effect dissipates very quickly and and this is borne out by the evidence uh here in canada and the united states across the world so when people from the business community say oh this is just going to result in rampant wage inflation uh like many other claims the evidence just isn't there well, the number seems arbitrary. I mean, if the government was planning to raise it to 14 an hour or 19 an hour, then presumably the campaign would be 14 is fair or 19 is fair. So what, what's so magical about 15? Well, the, the, what we're shooting for is uh, to see the government transform the minimum wage into something that is closer to a real living wage. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, there are different thresholds for for poverty. But, uh, you know, the, the federal government has its low income cutoff. Uh, and then we have groups in places like Calgary and Edmonton that are calculating how much it would cost to actually have a living wage. And, um, you know, generally the consensus is that it's about, uh, you know, somewhere between 15 and 18 dollars an hour in Calgary, somewhere between 15 and 17 dollars an hour in Edmonton. Um, and you're right, 15 is a little bit arbitrary, but it, it is at the low uh, range of what would be a living wage. And uh, so for us, you've you got to pick a target, right? And 15 is, is the target that, that's been picked by anti-poverty activists. Um, and it has a sort of a political momentum behind it. So we, were, we felt comfortable uh, getting on board with that because it is, it, it, if, we, if we hit 15, it may not be exactly a living wage in, uh, in Alberta. And in fact, I would suggest it's a, probably a little on the low end, uh, but it's certainly, certainly uh, much closer to a living wage to, than what it is right now. Well, Living Wage Canada says the uh, living wage in Calgary is $18.15 an hour. Yes. So 15 yes. is that's not fair. A 30, then. Yeah, that's based on a 35-hour week. So if you bump it up to a 40-hour week, then 15 is actually a lot closer, though it is still a little bit on the low end, like I said. All right. Well, you, you said that this is in, in response to, to the campaign from, from the hospitality industry in particular uh, yeah. against the minimum wage. Do, do you feel that they are being, what, are they, are they being greedy? Do you, do you not think that they have g- genuine concerns about the impact this is going to have? Well, well, I'll say a couple of things about that. First, uh, I do think it's important to point out that a lot of these businesses uh, have built their business models on a, a foundation of poverty wages. And as a society, I think we should have a conversation about that. Should, should we uh, condone or support businesses that can only thrive by essentially exploiting their workers? I think that's a question that we should be addressing, um, you know, in our governments and in society more broadly. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 one of the reasons we launched this campaign is because these guys are spreading fear and uh, they're having some success with it. Uh, uh, be, be, and and uh, a word that sort of springs to mind when I think of their campaign is a word that was coined by the late night TV host Stephen Colbert. He talked about how right wingers use uh, truthiness, which is an argument that sounds like it might be true, but it's not. And this argument that increasing the minimum wage 
uh, will will kill jobs is one of those arguments. On the surface, it says, oh, yeah, well, that might be true. But uh, we have 70 years of experience around the world with minimum wages, and no, no, it's never happened. The employers always say the same thing. Never happened? It's never happened. No, Gil, come on. <laughs> and, and anywhere, no, it actually hasn't. It's never happened anywhere in the world. Uh, the minimum wage has increased. There, and, and even here in Alberta, we've increased the minimum wage uh, since, well, Ralph Klein, when he was in power, he basically never increased it. Uh, and then in the, the years after that, we increased it about 30% over a period of, 80 year, uh, of eight years. And never once did we lose jobs in the sectors of the economy that were most well, likely. Well, if you're going to say never wage. once, I can even never cite once. just one study. There have been some major studies done in Canada, and they've found, in, in fact, the opposite of what you're claiming. Just to take yeah. one, for example that was done in Canada, that minimum wages do not have a statistically significant effect on poverty. Finds that only about 30% of the net earning gains from minimum wage increases go to the poor. About 70% spill over into the hands of the non-poor. Furthermore, we find that job losses are disproportionately concentrated on the poor. So yeah. that's just one study that was done in Canada. No. Well, actually, I'm very familiar with the studies, Rob, and they fall into two categories. There are studies that are based on modeling, uh, and then there are st- studies based on empirical real-world evidence. Like this one, which uses and, data from the know, Survey of Labor and Income Dynamics, looking from yeah, 97 and, and to 2007, that, looking at the, the impact. Fraser, that's the Fraser Institute. No, it's not the Fraser Institute. Well, wait, wait, who is it then? This is Morley Gunderson, Byron Lee, and Michelle Campoletia. It was published by, in the Journal of Labor Research in September of 2012. So yeah, it's not I'm a Fraser sorry. Institute study, Gil. And, and it's yeah. ironic that you say the Fraser Institute because you'll happily cite uh, their cohorts on the left at the Center for Policy Alternatives. Yeah. So you say we can't take the word of biased think tanks, but look at what some other biased think tanks have to say. <laughs> well, listen, uh, there have been studies across the United States, across Canada, you've cherry-picked one. Well, you said there were none, and I didn't cherry-pick one because I, that I, is, I, that I, is I one of the biggest that studies. That is I one of the that one. That is one of the biggest studies done on, on minimum wage in Canada. So, we, I, yeah, absolutely, we need to look at the evidence from Canada. Another yeah, one here should, says, okay, you, here's and, another one. And you, should look, and you should look at uh, David Green from Cyber Fraser University who did a, a, a meta study of all the Canadian studies and came to the conclusion that there's zero effect uh, on job loss. And who was that study done for? For Simon Fraser. He's from Simon Fraser? Yes. Was that done for the Center for Policy Alternatives? I don't know. It's Simon mm-hmm. Fraser University. He's a public policy uh, professor of public policy. So, well, we... <laughs> You could pull your study, and but, I, but that's a little bit unfair because I don't have a list of studies. No, okay, well, you're make. claiming that no study has found that. And here's another one done in Canada. A 10% rise in the minimum wage is also significantly associated with a 4 to 6% increase in the percentage of families living under the low-income cutoff. Suggests that a 10% increase in minimum wage is significantly correlated with a 3 to 5% drop in teen employment. That's looking at data from Canada once again. So there's another major okay. study that has found yeah. that. Well, so I, I, you know, I don't want to just throw individual studies out yeah. there. Well, you're going to claim that none of the studies done in Canada have shown that. There's two major studies right there looking at the Canadian evidence that find an association with job losses. So it's not fear-mongering if major studies done and published not by think tanks, but in reputable scientific journals have found this. Well, uh, the study, and I, I invite people to visit our site, take a look at the research, and what the research shows is that in... The majority of cases, even here in Alberta, uh, increases in the minimum wage have not resulted in significant job loss. And in fact, the opposite is true. The number of people working in low-wage industries has actually gone up every time the minimum wage has gone up. It seems counterintuitive, but the reasons for it are clear. If you put more money in the pockets of low-wage workers, they spend it in the economy. And that stimulates economic growth. Okay, Gil, let me get you to hold the line on that point. We'll uh, pick it up after a quick break here. Uh, Gil McGowan is our guest, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor. Their new campaign, 15 is fair, 15 is fair.ca. You can read more there. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Back with Gil McGowan, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, their campaign, 15 is fair. Now, Gil, before the break, you suggested that uh, raising the minimum wage would have some kind of stimulus effect. Uh, I'm not aware uh, of any evidence uh, indicating that effect in Canada. <laughs> well, once again, uh, you know, Rob, you, you've cherry-picked some studies, but uh, I can 
I'm not in the same position right at this moment to point at the studies on the other side, but if if you had warned me that this is going to be a battle... Well, I, I wasn't planning on doing that, Gil, but I mean, you, you made a very specific claim, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, well, that, that, that was the reason I mentioned those two studies. It was because you claimed that they didn't exist, and those are two pretty major studies. Um, but again, okay, so the, the, the argument I would advance, though, is that the bigger the wage increase, the more likely we're to see negative impacts, right? If we all of a sudden forced employers to go from $11 an hour to $22 an hour, there would probably be some, some negative impact of that. Would you yep. agree? If it were a jump of that nature. And this is another reason that we decided to launch the campaign because employers are making uh, misleading arguments about the size of the increase. I mean, they're saying it's a 50% increase, which on the surface it is from 10 20 to $15 an hour. Right. But the reality is that most low-wage workers in Alberta who are earning sub-poverty wages are clustered uh, closer to $15 an hour. So, um, in fact, uh, there's about 340,000 people working for under $15 an hour in Alberta, in Alberta right now, which translates to about uh, 18 19% of our workforce. Most of them are clustered between 13 and 15. So, the effective increase is really from say 12 to to 15, which is a 25 percent increase over three years, as opposed to a 50 percent. So, because there, there were really there was only like two percent uh, of the labor force getting paid the old minimum of 10, 20 an hour. Right? Okay, well so, that that but that's the paradox of it all is that a, a, a very minimal increase in the minimum wage probably won't have much of a negative impact at all. Right. And I would but by the same token, though, Gail, how is a, how... an effective 25% <laughs> increase over three years is a relatively small number. And, and, and if Which also not, speaks to the fact that it's not going to make much difference in, in the lives of these people, those who are still lucky enough to, to have their job and continue oh, no, working no. the same it, number it, of hours. It'll, it'll make a relatively small difference to the employers because it will be a 25%, effectively a 25% increase over three years. But for low-wage workers, every extra dollar in their pocket makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, like it, an extra $25 a week or $50 a week for someone who earns as much as, as you do, Rob, that's a drop in the bucket. But it makes a difference between uh, making rent uh, and putting healthy food on the table. And, and we're not just talking about kids here either, right? 60% of Albertans currently making less than $15 an hour are over 25 Okay, uh, 77% of them are not students, uh, and, and fully 40,000 of them are parents. So an extra 50, 100, or 200 dollars a week for these people makes a difference between uh, you know a life of poverty and a life of uh, uh, of just simply being working poor, which is is is, is an important distinction. Well, it is important distinction. Yeah, so I, I agree. Extra, well, extra dollars in their pockets can make a huge difference. It's a, you know whether it's you know uh, being able to afford their rent at the end of the month, put better food on their table. So so please don't uh, make light of the, the 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 amount of money that we're talking about. It is it is a small amount. Well, yeah, it is a small amount, but but that's the point. The 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 point is the the smaller the the smaller the increase, the less impact it's going to have. But obviously, the smaller the the increase, the the less it's going to benefit anybody. So, you you could make a a much bigger increase and put theoretically a whole lot more money in people's pockets. But as you just conceded, that that is going to have negative impact. So you concede at some point a minimum wage increase is going to have negative impact. Despite well, the fact that you've, you've claimed otherwise, dollars a year for flipping burgers, then that would have economic implications. But at what point but would we're, it? We're, we're talking no, okay, about but at what point would it? For for people who get it, what's that? So what point would it? You, you say fifteen is is fine, is fair, is manageable. Yes, so what I point do. would it be harmful? Do you think? I I, I couldn't speculate on that. And, well, I, then, and I think that that, that that that's that's not the argument that that anyone's making. So it's. You're arguing a well, hypothetical. No, I'm not arguing a hypothetical. I'm, I'm pointing out that these businesses say that 15 is too much of a jump. Yeah. You're saying it's not. You're saying that's fine. They could manage that. Yes. So at what point would that be true? I don't know. Ask them. Well, we're not supposed to <laughs> listen to them, according to you. I don't know why we're having this part of the conversation, Rob, <laughs> because no one's suggesting that the minimum wage 
should be $22 an hour or $50 an hour. We're saying it should be 15 So that's the discussion we're having. And, I, and I'm saying that there's no or very little evidence that it's going to cause the kind of economic catastrophe that these employers are claiming it will. And I will point out that employers always say that the sky will fall, and then it never does. There has never been an economic catastrophe uh, in terms of job loss or business failure associated with the, the, with the introduction or uh, the increase of, of a minimum wage. It's never happened. There, there has, like, I mean, you can point to a couple of studies where you're talking about, you know, 1% here, 3% there. Uh, and I, I contend that there are other studies that would suggest otherwise uh, because other studies that, that we cite actually suggest that minimum wage increases can have a stimulative effect by putting money in the pockets of workers who, unlike wealthier people, they don't save the money or spend it out or out, outside of the jurisdiction. They have a much higher propensity to spend because they have uh, pent-up uh, economic demand. They haven't been able to afford uh, their rent, their food, all this kind of stuff. So the money that, that, you, that goes into a low-wage worker's pocket uh, one day goes out of the pocket the next day, and it's spent in the local economy. So it actually has a very strong stimulative effect. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> so uh, we, we still think that within this range, uh, turning the minimum wage into a living wage uh, is not only good for individual workers, uh, it will actually have a stimulative effect, which I would argue is exactly what we need uh, in Alberta's economy today. Okay. Gil, you got last word. Appreciate the debate here this morning. 15isfair.ca is uh, the website. Uh, Thanks for joining us here. Okay. Thanks, Rob. There you go. Gil McGowan, uh, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor. Uh, They've launched this campaign, uh, 15 is Fair. Uh, So that's a curious argument to make, that there's going to be a stimulus effect. Which, again, would uh, if that's true, then why not go beyond 15? What's so magical and perfect about 15? I mean, Gil even admits, now that falls short of what it should be, but nobody's saying that it should be higher than 15. What do you make of that? Uh, 974-8255. Uh, Owen, go ahead. Hey, good morning. So, I mean, he doesn't talk about the payroll taxes that go with that, or, I mean, which have increased, you know, I mean... If you do the math, it puts them right into a different tax bracket. Tax bracket, they get zero if it, when it goes to fifteen. All that extra money goes to the government. So I mean, I don't know. Is this guy working for the government or what? <laughs> no, well, no, they, they don't work for the government, but uh, they well, sure, certainly sure are sounds, are supporting sure the government here. Yeah. Yeah, it sure sounds like it. I mean, let's say if you do the math and you do the tax bracket, they are not going to see one cent of that money. And companies are going to have to pay them more, which means they're just giving the government more. And then it's increased payroll taxes, CPD, EI rates, all that. It's way more than what he's saying. He's out to lunch, that guy. All right. I oh, appreciate the phone call. Uh, we're going to have to uh, leave it there for now. When we come back, we're going to uh, switch gears. We're going to talk about uh, kids being left in hot vehicles, why it's still happening, and uh, what can be done. Is there something that the automakers themselves can do? to help address this problem. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.